Welcome to Hope for All Nations, a podcast by Calvary Worship Center Broadcast. We pray that God's word will continue to be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, and that as you spend time in the presence, you will be abundantly fruitful. Today we are on our eighth week, um, week eight of our series, The God of All Grace, and we are going to talk about sound grace, sound grace. By sound grace, I mean we need to fully understand what this grace means. Because even a casual reading of the New Testament, you begin to realize that there is uh, like a polarization in the New Testament. There are two extremes. As soon as you begin to enter into the book of Acts through Romans, in fact, the whole book of Romans, Paul began to wrestle with this idea of grace, dealing with the extremes. If there is a subject that has been so misunderstood, misapplied, will be the subject of grace. So today I would like to come and let's unravel this revelation and come to a place where we can have a sound understanding. Depending on whom you are talking to, people will define grace differently and grace manifests in their life or their understanding of grace depending on their realities or what they have been taught or what they think they understand by their reading of the word. So there are three areas we are going to look at, and we are going to look at the first extreme, which I call legalism. Then we are going to look at the second extreme, which is license. Legalism says you got to work yourself into the heart of God. In order to, for God to love you and appreciate you, you need to work very hard for it. And it's very pervasive in the church today. Then the other extreme will be lines where people misunderstand grace. Means grace is a license to sin and do whatever we want to do because after all, there's grace. And I want to bring it together by looking at the scriptures, lessons that Paul would teach us how to live a life of sound grace. What is the balance? What is the balance? So let's start with the first one, legalism. First of all, let me define what I mean by legalism so that we understand. By legalism, I mean externally imposed religion which creates rules without relationships, standards without a savior, and laws without love. You find it everywhere. And some of us, we find in our lives, and legalism can be very subtle, comes in very ways. So today, let me give you some of the characteristics of legalism. First and foremost, it is very rooted in performance. I want to write the word performance. Performance is trying to end God's love in our hearts. In order for us, for God to appreciate us and value us, we feel we need to do something. We need to work for it. The Bible says God's love for us is unconditional. Some of us, we know that, but in reality, we don't live like it. We live like 
God's love is conditional. The Bible says he loves us in spite of, not because of. I want you to write it down. God loves you in spite of, not because of. In other words, God does not love you if. God does not love you when. Or God does not love you after you've done something. It's not based on ifs or whens or after. He simply loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. You need to get this first and foremost because at the root of legalism is the fact that people don't understand the unconditional love of God. So when he called Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, Oh, Jesus, I pray this morning, open hearts and minds, and I'm sensing there's going to be a deliverance for some people. The tyranny of legalism in your life and the chains that have held you for so long be broken today in the mighty name of Jesus. The Lord did not choose you and lavish his love on you because... Stop writing. God wanted to understand, and Israel want, God wants Israel to understand, there is no because of his love for you. Once you try to find a because, that because becomes legalism. God loves me because. No. God loves you in spite of. If you don't learn to deal with it, we, ought, we can tend to have what I call the doghouse mentality. That when we are doing good, we feel God loves us more. When we are not doing good, then God does not love us. And in the process, we don't know how to just receive and appreciate the love of God in our lives. Are you still with me? For example, you know the story of the, the prodigal son. Watch this. This is a mentality. Now, he, he feels he's been very, very bad. Now, he needs to go back home. Now, this is his thinking. And the, most of us, it's the same way we think when we come to approaching God. In Luke chapter 15, he says, I will arise, I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, which is right. That's the first thing, repentance. I'm no longer worthy. And this is where legalism comes in. You understand his thinking, his thought process. I can no more be called a son. Right now when I go home, I'm going to ask God, uh, my, my father to put me in the basement. Make me like one of your high servants. Why is Jesus telling us this parable? Because for most of us, that's how we think. We think that because maybe we have walked away, we think because we have not been perfect, we are not worthy of God's love. We think because of that, we belong to the basement. High servant. We think that because we don't understand God. For the Bible says when he got home, he started to repeat this, but his father stopped him right there. He said, that is not necessary. He said, son, he didn't say servant. Welcome home. Bring 
the best calf and the best garment and bring the best ring. No, that's impossible. See, legalism don't think that God will bless you if you're not perfect. John Hotbeck, in one of his famous books, said, nothing you will ever do could make God love you more than he does right now. Think about it. Not greater achievement. Now, he's getting to the very call of legalism. Not greater achievement. Not greater beauty. You know what people actually believe that? That because they are not as beautiful like others, God loves them less. Or they may be, oh, two days ago, um, I think maybe three or four days ago, I received um, a text message from someone from across the country, in, way back in Africa. And, um, and he said to me, do you think that God loves me because I am disabled? It broke my heart. I cried. I said, how do I respond to this? All his life, because he's disabled, he doesn't think that God loves him that much. Maybe he does, but not compared to somebody who is able or healthy. Maybe God will love me if I'm a little taller. And some of us, we can equate our love, God's love for us, our value based on the scale. Maybe if I'm a little slimmer, God will love me more because I don't value myself. People don't value me, and I don't think God values me. That's legalism. Say not wider recognition, not even greater levels of spirituality and obedience. Nothing you have ever done could make God love you any less. And that is impossible to phantom. He said, not even sin, not any failure, not even guilt, not any regret. When God says his love for you is unconditional, he means unconditional. As many of us make, according to the Bible, broad is the way that leads to destruction. As we make our way into hell, it breaks the heart of God because he still loves us. Paul said, we can never understand the full dimension of this love. And that's why the songwriters say, how can it be? The Bible says, whilst we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. He didn't die for you when you were righteous, when you were holy. He loved you. When you were in darkness and in shame and in rebellion, he loved you. Why do you think that would change? When you become acceptable in the beloved. Performance is one of the things we need to watch out when it comes to legalism. The second thing I wanted to about legalism is pettiness. You see, legalism majors on the minor and minor on the major. Legalism focuses too much attention on the external, not the internal. When you find yourself so much and grows on the outside about the clothes that people wear, you are so critical 
about how their pants are not long enough or their shoes are not whatever or about their makeup or about their hair. Of course, the Bible calls us to dress moderately. But when you begin to focus so much on the outside, on the pertinence, not on the heart, in the area of entertainment, I remember growing up, you couldn't go and watch a movie. If you do, you have sinned. If I remember we sneaked one day to go with some friends. I came home on my knees in deep repentance, cleansing, cleansing, because I've watched a movie. Some people grew up in a home where TV is considered sin. Even these days, some people consider the internet as in antichrist. On the external, even drinking coffee can be bad for you. I have a, a friend, when, you, when we go somewhere and they ask for coffee, I say, no. I say, do you want coffee? I say, no, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian. Because they believe that coffee has this substance in it that changes mood. You know what I'm talking about. Some people need their coffee because of the stuff in it. So no, anything that can influence me, I don't touch it. I only drink water. I don't even drink tea. Pettiness. I know some people who don't put on makeup because God created us without makeup. So when you put on makeup, you are not walking in God, in Christ. Pettiness. The other thing you find about legalism is what I call pity or self. In this case, I mean self-pity. Legalists find it very difficult to deal with sin, guilt, and shame. You know why? Because they find it very difficult to accept God's forgiveness. Legalists tend to be very hard on themselves. And in the process, they pass on that Hardness unto others. And I'll come to that in a second. Because they are so hard on themselves, when others also falter, they have no mercy. Shame is a very brutal thing. And we've all gone through shame. I have gone through shame. I have done things in my past that I'm brutally very ashamed of. But the Bible tells us that shame is not the end of everything. Adam sinned against God, and right away, shame was introduced to the story of humankind. The Bible said it became a shame. That's the first time we read about that word. Sin brings shame. But shame is not meant to crush you. Shame is meant to drive you into the arms of the Father and ask for forgiveness. A lot of believers have come struggling with guilt. I come across people who have seen sin. 1822, and they are still under their burden of that sin. Because even though God may forgive them, they cannot forgive themselves. And legalism will not let you lose. You remember the story of um, Judas, uh, let me get, Judas and Peter. They both sin against God, and they both had shame. But the results were different. One drove the other one to commit suicide. And the other drove the other one to throw themselves on the arms of Jesus. Depend 
depending on how you deal with your shame and your guilt, you can come and experience restoration or you can destroy your destiny. And legalism can hold you in, in chains. And I've seen people take this to their marriage lives and to their relationships and how destructive that can be because they cannot forgive themselves. They find it difficult to forgive others. Let me give you another one. Legalists legalist also have pain. There's no joy. They don't, if you want to describe a legalist, you don't see joy or peace in their life. They're always agitated, very uptight. You know why? Because they are carrying all these burdens. In fact, you see this struggle in the New Testament. Paul, in the book of Galatians, fought the legalists called the, the Judaizers. People who wanted to bring the church back into the Old Testament. Do's and don'ts, don't touch, don't handle. One point, they had to go all the way to the head office in Jerusalem because there were some who believed that you need to be circumcised in order to be fully born again. And when they went there, Peter said, why do we want to put a burden on them, this burden that neither we nor our fathers were able to carry? Legalism is a burden and it weighs you down. It's no joy and peace. I have been there. I know what it means to live in legalism. Let me give you one more characteristics of legalism. You see pride. It's a lot of pride. Legalists are very self-righteous. Typically in the New Testament, we call them the Pharisees. Lord, I've not done this. I've not done that. I don't drink coffee. I don't watch movies. I'm not like that sinner. I'm not like that. Look at me. They are very self-righteous. They are very critical of others. And they are very judgmental. That's the story of legalists. If you want a typical example, you look at the story. Some of you remember the story about a woman who was caught. Legalists enjoy somebody being caught. The Bible said the Pharisees and the Sadducees drove this woman to the feet of Jesus. Said this one was caught in the very act. What do you say about it? See, grace, people full of grace are not interested in the court aspect. Legalists are interested. They want to catch somebody. They want to expose somebody. I remember a, a couple of um, um, years ago, I had a, my own encounter where there's a pastor who was caught stealing church money, and somebody sent it to me. And I was ready to send it to somebody. And God said, why do you want to send it? I said, because he's been caught. Because they check your heart. Why do you rejoice in somebody's caughtiness, even if it's a word? Do you rejoice when a sister is caught lying or a sister is caught doing something? Do you rejoice? Grace does not rejoice in that. 
It breaks the heart of a gracious person. Do you find yourself interested in spreading the news of others? Oh, the husband just left her and just shared. Do you rejoice in sharing bad news about others? Check your heart. They say, according to the law of Moses, we should stone. That is the, the language of the legalists. We should deal with her. By the way, you know the story that the man was not, it was just the woman. And you agree with me, it takes two to commit adultery. And Jesus, Bible says, he turned to them and said, and he went to the very, very heart of legalism. If any of you have not committed sin, let him first take the first stone. And the Bible says he bent down and started to write. In other words, legalists are hypocrites. They pretend they are holy, they are self-righteous, and many times, the very sin they struggle with, they throw it on others. And that is why they can't stand you, because deep down, they are also wrestling, and they, to see you go through that, they able to project that to you, and they hate you. And they want to destroy you. Jesus said, let me take the first stone. And the Bible says, one by one, they all left. And Jesus turned to this woman, and this is where grace comes in. He said, neither do I condemn you. See, grace does not condemn. Grace also does not condone sin. And I'll come to that in a moment. The Father God does not condemn it. That means that it's okay. It's not okay. But there's a way God handles it. He said, go and sin no more. That's a balance. Come out of it. You see, Church of Christ, we are not in the demolition business. We are in the restoration business. Many of us, the Bible says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. You may be restored. There will be healing. But why are we not confessing our sins? Because we are afraid you will throw stones. So a lot of Christians are keeping things to themselves and they're afraid to share because they afraid. there are a lot of people with stones. If I come and tell what I'm struggling with, you will kill me. So there's no healing. There's no healing. There's no confession because people carry stones. We are in the demolition business. We will destroy you instead of restoring you. Our first act should be an act of restoration. See, I mentioned to you, oh, actually, thank you, Jesus. Some, a story just came. You remember one of the stories sometimes you miss about the story of Noah is the second part. Noah was great. The Bible says he found grace in, out of, in the eyes of God and went through the flood and came out. But many people don't read what happened next. The Bible says when they came out, Noah planted a vineyard and planted, it was a beautiful vineyard and he wanted to taste of it, and he got drunk. Yeah, Noah got drunk to the point that he was totally naked, and one of his sons, Ham, saw him and came and told the, the, the rest of the boys, hey, daddy is drunk and he's naked. The Bible says something happened. One of the sons called Shem, the Bible says he took, took a cloth and put on their shoulders, and they went backwards. 
and cover their father's nakedness. And God bless him for that. Now what Doa did was wrong, was devastating. But the reaction, and God ended up, Noah cursed his son, the other one, because he was just rejoicing in the courtiness of his father. Covered. In the story of the prodigal son, sometimes we don't finish it, but there's legalism at the end. The, the son comes with legalistic thinking. God changes that. I want you to look at something in Luke chapter 15. The older brother was angry, wouldn't even go in. Because why? There's been grace, there's been forgiveness, there's restoration. Legalism can't stand restoration. They don't want restoration. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. And that is the characteristics of legalists. You slave. You don't slave for Jesus. He did it all for you. You don't work hard. But in, in his mind, I've been working hard and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours come back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. He was angry. What is Jesus saying? He said, the older brothers are right in the church. They don't want to see because you've been somewhere and God brought you back. In Galatians chapter 6, again, I told you Galatians, Paul did with the, the streams. He said, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should Restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you also be tempted. Carry each other's burden in this way. You fulfill the law of Christ, not the law of Moses. The law of Christ. Bring in the balance. We have to live in grace. Grace does not condemn, neither does it condone. But grace's aim is to redeem, to bring back, to restore to make sure that person does not go back. That person stays on the path of righteousness because that's what the shepherd does. He restores my soul. He puts my feet on the path of righteousness. That's what God has called every one of us to do. Because the enemy is all around and people get ambushed, people get careless, people get stupid, people don't realize things happen. And, oh, you need to come and say what you did was wrong, it is not acceptable, do whatever you need to do, discipline by all means do, but restore the person. The goal is restoration, not demolition. That's the kind of church God wants us to create. That's the kind of church where people... Uh, can be themselves and can open up and be real and not be afraid and allow God to work deep into their heart. Let's look at license. That's the other extreme. The other extreme is, oh, there's grace. Let's do whatever we want. You see that in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? We are living in grace, and today in the church, you find that teaching becoming very prevalent. 
especially among our young adults. People say, why not? Those days we were not asked to drink. Now you can drink freely. In fact, when I came on it, uh, to seminary, we did our, one of our Bible studies. We went to a pub. And coming from Africa, I was shocked. The professor gave us an address. And when I got there, I thought it was a wrong address. Look at the address. I look at the pub. Look at the address again. I'm like, no. Let me go in there and find, ask them about this address. This cannot be. And sure enough, he was there with other students with beer in hand. And coming from where I'm coming from, it wasn't easy. They said, uh, Sam, what do you want? You can order whatever you want. The bar is open. Hey! There's freedom. There's liberty. There's nothing wrong clubbing. We are free in Christ. Those days when they said do's and don'ts, these days they said the average, <laughs> I shouldn't say average, they said, Passes now just swears, F-bombs, because they are free. Go to strip clubs. We are free in Christ. See, the problem with this type of thinking, this, uh, this other extreme, the fact that we are coming from legalism doesn't mean we should go to the other side. First of all, there is a, it's a problem of error. Error is when we mistake, misunderstand God's word. Matthew 22, 29, Jesus said, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You don't understand grace because if you do understand grace, you don't go back to sin so that you can forgive. Oh yeah, the blood is available. Let me do it and you cleanse me. Let me do it and you cleanse me. You are understanding the scriptures. You are in error. And there is a satanic deceit out there because that's the same deceit that the enemy told Eve. You will not die. Have fun. You'll be like God. Your eyes will be open. We are free now. Oh, I grew up in a legalistic home. Now I can order whatever I want, do whatever I want. Thank God I'm free. You'll find Paul was wrestling with these two extremes in the New Testament. The other thing about this problem of licenses is that people forget about enslavement. If you are not careful, the very thing that God has delivered us from, you put yourself back in it. The fact that God has freed us, grace has forgiven us, grace has set us free. It doesn't mean that we should go back to the very things that God has delivered us from. So in Romans chapter 6, and please, when you have time, just study the whole book of Romans because Paul wrestles with it. What then, he says, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know, and then you talk about the idea of enslavement. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Why are you now beginning to yield to sin? You don't understand grace. Grace actually brought you out of sin. Grace actually brought you out of enslavement. Why are you going back? 
a wife told me, I don't know what happened to my husband. He's gone back drinking again. Because he said that he's no more under law. The Bible didn't say we, we shouldn't drink. So why not? Now the very thing that God delivered him from, he's gone back to it. We need to avoid these extremes. And the, the other thing also you have to remember about this, the, the illogical understanding of these lines is, is eternity. Because not only is it an error and enslavement, you got to have eternity in mind because at one day we are going to give account of the life that we live. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul makes it very clear. The acts of the flesh are obvious. And he mentions them. You can't go back to this thing that God has delivered you from. He mentions sexual immorality. He mentions impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. You can't go back to this thing because we are free. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't tell me that you are free so you have license to sin. Because Paul said be careful because acts like this can determine your eternity. We are not free to sin. We are free to live righteously. So sometimes people come out from a legalistic background, they go all the way to a licensed background. What's the balance? I want to finish today by looking at the lessons. So what does Paul really teach? Where is the balance? As a child of God, at the end of this sermon, I want you to have a sound understanding of grace. First and foremost, first lesson, you need to learn to be submissive to God's grace. I mean, surrender to the work of God in your life. Recognize that. That there's nothing that you can do that can change God's love for you. There's nothing that you can do that in your own righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rocks before God. Learn to let God be, accept God's work in your life and let him do his work. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 2. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And then he remembers grace. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, he says, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I'm living now is not my own. I don't try. I let God, the Bible says, God has worked in you. So work out your salvation. Work out. God has worked in Holiness and righteousness he imparts upon us. Then we have to make choices and decisions to stay on that path of righteousness. We cannot live on our own. We cannot, you see, that's what the legalist means. We cannot be righteous on our own. It's not about AA going to AA meeting and learning about five laws or ten laws and trying hard. No, God has already done it. What you need to do is to let that work that God has done in you come out. That's what I mean by surrender, submit. Say, God, work out 
what you have done in me. Sometimes people come to me and say, Pastor, I can't stop swearing. Pray that I will stop swearing. I say, no, I've got to change your heart. Because God deals with the roots. He changes your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. When God changes your heart, your speech changes. So what you need to do is not attack the speech. Because the speech is just a symptom of a deeper problem. Ask God to change your heart. And when he does the work, you speak out what he has already done in. It's the same with anger. Somebody say, well, I have anger problem. No, no, no. You don't have anger problem. You have brokenness problem. Anger is just a symptom of a deep, deep brokenness inside you. What you need is to allow God to do his work in you. Will you allow him? Paul said, I'm allowing God, I, and I receive his love, I appreciate his, his, his love, and watch this. I do not frustrate the grace of God. How do you frustrate the, the grace of God? When you don't surrender or submit to what God is doing in your life, and you try to do your own thing, you frustrate grace. You are telling grace you are not enough. You are telling grace, your work was not finished. I can try this myself. It's like when we, we, we go to anger management classes, they say, when you're angry, count out to 10. One, two, three. That's legalism. When you're a child of God, you say, God, touch my heart. Heal my heart. I'm so broken. Right now, I'm so angry, Lord. Will you heal me? Will you fill me with your peace and your joy? That's the work of grace. When it changes your heart, it changes your actions. Say, I do not frustrate. How many of you have been frustrating God's grace in your life? Anytime you try to live in legalism, you are frustrating grace. Allow grace to work. For if righteousness come by the Lord, then Christ died Christ is dead in vain. That's frustration. God has done it all for you. And yet, it's like God said, let me be the driver. And then halfway through, he said, God, let me take the steering. I want to drive myself because I don't trust you. Will you allow God to do his work in your life? Will you be humble enough? The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. For he gives grace to the humble. Say, God, can do it. I've tried it on my own. I can do it. Surrender to grace. Stop performing. Number two, be steadfast in God's grace. Refuse, child of God, to allow other things to creep in in your walk with God. In Galatians 5 verse 1, Paul put it simply, stand fast, that's what I mean, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. In other words, don't go back. Grace has set you free. Stay in the grace. Stand fast. In that liberty. 
Don't misuse grace. Would God forgive you? Yes, you bet he'll forgive you. But what the devil doesn't tell you is that sin can bring you back to enslavement. You can sin and God will forgive you. You can sin and God will forgive you before you find out now you can't come out from the sin anymore. Because every person that entered into slavery began with one sin and then two and then three and before you know it, you have been entangled again. You cannot stand fast. Yes, God will forgive me, but I'm not going back there because he has set me free. Because God has shown mercy and forgiven me doesn't mean I should go back again so that grace may abound. That is foolishness. Can I give you one more? This is my favorite part. God calls us not only to submit to the grace of God. God calls us not only to stand fast in that grace. He called us to be strong in the grace. That's what Paul means. Have you ever read 2 Timothy 1? Maybe casually, but let's take it to another level. It says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? He said, don't take that grace for granted in your life. Don't take forgiveness for granted. Don't take the presence of God for granted. Don't take the love of God for granted. You are strong in that grace. Father, for what you have done for me, I pray that the fruit, my fruit, will bear it to show a heart of gratitude through my lifestyle. When I'm living that lifestyle that pleases Jesus, I am being strong in that grace because the goal of grace, according to Titus, remember, teaching us to say no to ungodliness, teaching us to embrace righteousness and godliness and peace in the Holy Spirit. That's how I become strong in the grace. By the way I live, allow God. When God said, don't go there, I don't go there. When God says, step aside, I step aside. When God says, don't take that route, I don't take that route. Because trust me, God, through the Holy Spirit, will keep you on the path of righteousness. Your job is to make those choices. And when I make choices that honor God, I'm being strong in the grace of God. Don't take the grace of God for granted. Oh, I'm strong in the grace of God when I... I give my testimony when I show people what God is doing in my life and being strong in the grace. Even my giving, I sh I'm strong in the grace of God. I'm showing that I'm so grat. He said, I'm coming from a heart of gratitude. Just the way I allow God to work through me, I become strong in the grace. Let me end with this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is Paul talking about being strong in the grace. For I am the least of the apostles who am who I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. This is my past. But by the grace of God, come worship him. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Don't take the grace of God for granted. Let it work in your life. Is God's grace in your life in vain? When you are legalist, when you try to live your own life, when you try to please God through your own works of righteousness, 
you are frustrating the grace of God and you are making the grace of God in vain. When you try to go back to your, the, the vomit that you have left behind, when you go back to the things that you've left behind, you are making God's grace in vain. But he said, I labor more abundantly than they are, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He said, I am showing by my fruit the gain that grace has brought into my life. These are the two extremes. Legalism. Lances. But God is saying, the true lesson, the true liberty is becoming submissive to the grace of God. Steadfast in the grace of God. Strong in the grace of God. In other words, allow God's grace to work in your life. Will you? Thank you, Jesus. Wherever you are, I want you to stand up on your feet. And I want us to begin to pray. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Hope for All Nations, a Calvary Worship Center podcast. We pray that God's word will continue to be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And that as you spend time in his presence, you will be abundantly fruitful. You are also most welcome to join us for our in-person worship services. If you are in Western Canada, we have locations in Surrey, BC and Westminster, BC, as well as Calgary, Alberta. In Washington State, we have a location in Bellingham and a location in Ghana. You can find out more information at calvaryonline.ca. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.